0: What humbug is this? Mark me, Ebenezer Scrooge, for I am the ghost of Products Future. And why have you come here this night? To show you the products you will create if you don't listen to your market and solve for market problems. What kind of insane products are these? The kind your company's inside out approach will produce if you fail to heed my warning. Briefcases for dogs? A ventilated umbrella with extra large holes? An app only for scheduling past dental appointments? Madness! Who needs this stuff? Exactly. These are the kinds of products you will continue to make in the future if you do not mend your ways and solve real market problems. Oh, ghost of products future, please! Tell me what I must do to avoid such a disastrous fate. To change your future, you must attend a Pragmatic Institute course in the present. Shall I take the courses online or in person? It matters not the format. Whichever is most convenient for you. The education and instructors are the same, and you shall receive the knowledge you require to avoid a future that includes... Goggles for
1: goldfish!
0: No! Visit PragmaticInstitute.com to learn more.
2: Hello, my name is Andrea Ozias, and I'm the editor of The Pragmatic, the award-winning magazine of Pragmatic Institute. Welcome to another edition of Pragmatic Live. Today we have with us Eric Bodak, co-founder of Pendo. Welcome, Eric.
1: Thanks. It's great to be here, Andrea.
2: Great. So Eric also is an author in The Pragmatic, and we've got an article in the fall 2019 issue of the magazine on scaling faster with product-led growth. So Eric, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about that today and about product-led growth. To, to kick it off, can you tell me, how is product-led growth, that concept, any different from how products have been launched or marketed in the
1: past? Sure, sure, I can, I can definitely touch on that. I mean, I, I think the sales journey has changed and the beginning of that was the move to SaaS software, where pre-SaaS and pre-reoccurring revenue, uh, it used to be a sales journey that was very linear. Right. Everyone had kind of their roles, like marketing-generated leads that handed it off to sales, and sales sold the business, and then it was back in the age of gold disks where things were, you know, printed on disks and then installed. And there was a huge installation process, especially in B2B enterprise, that took often years. Uh, so you'd have this big upfront investment both in purchasing the software and getting it installed, and then you'd, uh, the software providers would see ongoing maintenance, and that's when, you know, account management was helping maintain and make sure they got value out of the software. But the big decision there was always made up front. It was in that sales process. Now, with SaaS, we see a lot of reoccurring revenue. And the big challenge with reoccurring revenue is you have to show reoccurring value. Because whether it's an annual contract or a monthly contract, you, know, you can cancel. Your customers can cancel on you. They can take their business elsewhere. Um, and they're, they're often going to do that if you can't you know, continue to drive value. So now you start seeing more and more being driven inside of the product itself. Uh, specifically, from a growth perspective, You know, the advent of the Internet coupled with the SaaS revolution and just the changing habits of buyers means that they're less likely to talk to salespeople at all before getting really deep into your messaging, your thought leadership, uh, your product itself quite often through things like free trials. And so that drives more of these uh, go to market um, activities that need to take place inside the product itself. And that's what's driving this concept of product-led growth so i think the way software is sold is really what has led to product-led growth and if you think about it from a scale perspective too the more you can get done inside your product the more you leverage your product you know to either sell or expand customers uh the less expensive it is so you see companies like elassian right that have gone public with great multiples uh, especially when you look at their, their sales and marketing costs, which are a lot less than say a Siebel was in the past. Uh, so product led growth is really just about, you know, how you can leverage your product and your product data, you know, to sell, retain customers and expand customers.
2: Okay. So is product led growth, do you think it's exclusive to the, the software SaaS industry, or do you think that it it's a concept that can cross industries?
1: Uh, it's I mean, it's definitely a concept that can cross industries. Uh, you look at companies like Netflix, I would say, as a product-led company, where they're doing a lot of experimentation, a lot of iteration. They're very data-driven, uh, and I don't think of them as a, a software provider. They're a, a media company. They're delivering original content or sometimes licensed content, uh, More, I think more and more original these days. Uh, but they also espouse a lot of the product-led uh, growth initiatives, and, and more than even just product-led growth, there's this whole concept of being product-led as a company, right, thinking about. Your your product as much more than just you know, a piece of software or a streaming service, but thinking of it from, say, like a marketing lens as a communications vehicle, where you can communicate you, through your product, either with new features, new announcements, uh, new thought leadership pieces, whatever it happens to be, but you can use your product as that distribution channel for your marketing, as opposed to thinking about traditional marketing, whether it be things like you know, television, radio, print, digital advertising, events, et cetera.
2: If, if a company wanted to make that transition or if, if a product team said, yeah, this is definitely the direction that we need to be heading in, what would be some of the initial steps that they would need to take, kind of the hurdles they would need to jump in order to get their organization to see product-led growth as a direction we need to
1: Yeah, I think product-led as a whole is something that you need to think about as like a cultural movement. And it can't just be in the product organization. It needs to be something throughout the company Uh, because if a product organization wants to drive in that direction, they still need to figure out, well, how do we work with customer success or marketing or sales to espouse these kind of principles within their parts of the organization? So I think it needs first to be something that is driven by the executive team as a whole. Uh, and then second, you, you need to start thinking about how do you use, utilize your product and the features within your product or the data of your product to then drive that growth. So a, a great example uh, that I like to talk about is like if you start with a free trial program, which is a great way to, you know, to step into driving growth through product. Free trials are likely to, you know, people will be at your website, they'll be reading your thought leadership, they'll hear a little bit about what what you do, they'll sign up for a free trial, they'll go through some kind of onboarding process generally in a free trial. So, this is a first step where you can optimize, like trying to figure out, okay, how do we onboard people and get them to that value stage? Like a lot of, uh, you know, product led growth, they spend a lot of time, product led growth companies spend a lot of time thinking about how we get people quickly to value. So, and part of that is optimizing the onboarding there. and the really cool thing is you should then be iterating. So you have this first free trial. You, you put together an onboarding flow you think is going to work for you. And then you should be learning about that. Okay, what do the people who converted look like versus the people who decided not to convert and pay at the end of the trial? are there patterns right i like to think about this as modeling customers modeling the green ones in particular is interesting because you start to see patterns you start to see things like oh if they use spell check or if they use this feature they're more likely to turn from a free trial to a paid customer but if they don't use say these three or four features then the probability goes way down right so then you can refine your onboarding process well what do you want to do if you want to optimize this right you want to think about well how do we drive these free trial users, these new prospects, potential new customers, to these features that we know are going to get them to convert. So you can do things like in-application guides. Like, we see you've been using this product for two weeks, and you haven't tried this cool feature called check. You know, it's like having a dictionary at your desk, you know, going way back, right? I don't even know if people know what dictionaries are anymore. But uh, this I- This is at least an example that people kind of understand. It's easy. Everyone gets word processors. So, but you can see the pattern is like you try to figure out, okay, what makes people excited about your product? What gets them to value? And you can get that out of your product data, right? And then if you understand that, you can refine your onboarding process to push people to those things. And then what you're likely to see is is bumps in conversion rates. So there's a great example of how you can use your product and your product data to, you know, improve your company. And when you think about this, by automating a lot of that process, it's a lot less costly than you know, trying to you know, send a salesperson to walk them through it or you know, spending people time doing that. The more you can push you know, the automation in the product itself, the better margins you're going to get. And that's why a lot of these product-led companies are doing so well in the public markets. Um, but that's just one example. You can think about how we improve you know, expansion opportunities or how we get more engagement. And a lot of it is just driving that through your product and through, um, uh, through utilization of your product data. I think data is the fundamental underlying layer that allows you to do all of this stuff. I mean, you think of even going back to your example outside of software with Netflix, right? Their decisions are made by data, driven by data, informed by data. Like, they'll know before they actually produce a series how many people are going to watch that, so they know how valuable it's going to be to them. Uh, it's just amazing how, how much you can do with, with not only a lot of data, but good data and people who know how to use it properly.
2: are there any downsides to this type of movement?
1: I don't think there's downsides. I think you know it's any just, risks, uh, anything uh, I, I, I can't really say that I would say that there's risks associated with it. It's change like anything else. If you're putting you know, more of a focus on your product and how your product integrates with the other departments, there's change management that needs to be dealt with. But when you think about it, you're just empowering your other teams Uh, with the product, with whether product information or processes around your product or new features in your product that help them do their jobs better. So you can think of it as a tool for different organizations, you know, getting lead lists to the sales group that you know are more likely to convert because you know what they've done in the trial. Or when you have a new product offering, be able to hand sales like a list of people that are likely to buy because you know what their usage habits have been like in your existing product. Um, those types of things are just empowering for the other organization. So I don't think there's necessarily downsides or, or risks associated with doing this, but there is a, a, you know, a change in the way you think about doing your business, and you just leverage more of the assets you have.
2: Well, all of that sounds great, Eric. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. It was great having you on the podcast. And thank you to all of our listeners for joining us for another edition of Pragmatic Live. Join us again next week for more tips, tricks, and trends.